Hey everybody, happy Friday. This is Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com with Eric Moline. Hi. From SceneStealers.com. Uh, we took a week off. Transformers took that much out of us that we couldn't, couldn't, we didn't have the energy to do one. So Yeah, and we didn't it. want to talk about Larry Crown. <clears throat> we didn't want to talk about Larry Crown or uh, horrible bosses. But, Should, yeah. We but, might talk about him here if we have enough time after our Harry Potter-a-thon. But yeah, that's why we're here today is to talk about Harry Potter, the last installment in the epic series finally it's finally. finally here it's finally here and in 3d it is it's the first one in 3d yeah for some reason the first half of one in in 3d yeah and the second half was just so visually stimulating that oh wait no they just wanted to make more money never oh. mind all right well let's just dive into it go ahead and you got to see it i was still sick so i missed it harry Tell potter harry and potter. the deathly hallows part two mm-hmm. first off let's just get this out of the way don't see this in 3D unless you just like paying $3 more for your movie. I like to, yeah, I like doing that. Okay. Well, then I recommend that you see this in 3D. I will. Okay. Fantastic. Good. Okay. So we got that out of the way. Um, this is obviously part two of the last book in the Harry Potter series. Part one was released last year. And uh, to, to, to basically what I thought was a good amount of critical acclaim and a fair amount of audience kind of eh. Like people were like, you know, nothing happened. It was uh, yeah. uh, the, the three main characters sitting around, uh, mounting dread and not a lot of action, uh, which everybody assumed was going to lead up to an action-packed finale. Yeah. Uh, which is absolutely true. This is an action-packed finale. Um, I liked Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 more than almost any other uh, yeah, you were very. I remember you were very defensive of that movie, especially when people, you know, the big complaint always is it was slow. Yeah, you know, and you were really defensive about it then. Uh, how so, does that feel now? You know, well, it's interesting because if the strategy was to slow down the plot and and let us feel the mounting dread of Voldemort and his army coming for Harry and his friends, uh, Ron and Hermione. Um, then they they did a really great job. The problem is is that now that they've done that, they're back to what I like to say is business as usual for films four, five, and six uh, that came before it, and that is cramming uh, so much plot into uh, a, a, the movie that characters don't have time to breathe and they don't have time to feel real and sometimes they just have these arbitrary changes that happen mm-hmm. because that's the way they happened in the book. And this film is not as bad as four or five or six, but I, I, I really feel that um, it, it <laughs> basically goes back to what David Yates has done up to this point with the exception of part one, which is provide a summary of the goings-on. So he's got this huge book. He's got all these plot points he has to fill in. Yeah. And with very little uh, panache uh, uh, or, or storytelling or time for character development, he simply puts the events on screen and hopes that the uh, plot developments of the book themselves are going to make them resonate. And um, I think uh, that was a, a pretty big uh, fumble on his part. To make this last book in the series, this last movie in the series, uh, the same way that he made, you know, four or five, or five, five and six, um, and so it's it's really uh, it's nice that the film has the film series has finally drawn to a conclusion. 
Yeah. Um, Were you I, relieved when the credits rolled? Were you yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I was relieved because because frankly, this series has alienated me uh, at least half the time. Yeah. I'd say half of the movies in this series were were some of the most frustrating film going experiences I've had uh, uh, in in the last ten years. And but and, and do you I think have the, to say I'm not a, a reader of the book. Right. I was going to say. Do, do you think if you were younger, or if you were a kid seeing these movies, do you think you would have held on for as long, or for I, longer? I mean, you didn't. I don't know. Time. I I don't think so. I I would I would like to think that I would be just as confused over some of the um, things that make no sense in the filmic world yeah. uh, as I am as an adult. Yeah. Um, I think that for people who read the books, they fill in the blanks. Um, they add all of the extra uh, information that they have about all the characters and yeah. stuff that they couldn't fit into the books, and they imbue these characters in the movies with those same properties. So yeah. in this movie, Neville Longbottom becomes uh, kind of a big deal again, and he's been – uh, you know, not seen for quite some time. Yeah, uh, and and he has a really great moment in the movie where he finally gets to assert himself, which is really what this film series is all about: is is um, growing up and, and taking charge, and um, you know, being able to uh, make decisions for yourself and become an adult. Right. And so when he has that moment, it, it's effective. Now, unfortunately, David Yates, the director, fumbled so many other of these moments, like the the death of. Uh, uh, Bellatrix Lestrange, mm-hmm. who is Voldemort's right-hand woman. I mean, this is an evil character who's done some awful, awful things. She's dispatched in the span of about two minutes <laughs> by another uh, kind of main character who uh, should have a lot more, uh, you know, balls and a lot more emotion wrapped up in 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 that particular scene. And it just comes and goes with very little fanfare. It's not it's not that impressive. Um, the the major climax of the film where Harry makes a decision that uh, changes his life um, isn't really played out for dramatic effect like it should be. Uh, and then there's a moment that he has that's very Obi-Wan Kenobi-like uh, that also just seems kind of perfunctory. And then at the very, very end when it's the final showdown between him and Voldemort, yeah. uh, this moment just doesn't have – the the resonance that it should and it, I think it's a fault of the filmmaker. I don't think yeah, it's the actors. It. I think it's just the movie is not uh, uh, paced well. I think they rushed too much of it. You know, and everybody makes fun of Peter Jackson for uh, ending Return of the King, the the third Lord of the Rings movie, in such a long and drawn out epilogue fashion. Yeah, uh, and frankly, I'm not going to give him any hard time for that because that's a nine hour movie that he was ending yeah it takes a half hour sometimes to come down from that if uh if david yates would have given harry harry potter the same respect perhaps that movie would have felt like it ended on uh, a fulfilling note um even the epilogue in this movie is short and um actually kind of kind of silly the way it's do they do they follow the book does it flash forward is it the epilogue uh, yes, the okay. epilogue is a flash forward. Okay. Yes, and I think that's probably about all we should reveal. Yeah. Because I didn't go into this movie. I should I should let it be known. Not only did I not read the books, but I avoided all spoilers. I didn't know whether Harry lived or died. I didn't know whether Voldemort was defeated. I didn't know who was going to live or die. I didn't know anything. I really did a a, a commendable job, if I may pat myself on the back, for, yeah, for knowing the smallest amount of details about this series. <laughs> I, I did a great job about knowing nothing. Yeah, about well, what I stayed I away from watch. everything, and I just wanted to experience it. It was kind of an experiment on my part, yeah. because I know um, It's pretty inescapable. It's people. pretty, pretty yeah. incredible. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I I don't know how Yates got in the driver's seat in the first place as a director. I, I just looked at his IMDb page. I mean, he did some TV movies. He did some things like that. But this franchise is the biggest thing he's ever been given. And he did the last and, four movies. And he's done the last four. And I don't know, you know, that's a that's a crown jewel of a franchise. And I don't know why he, he was tasked with picking it up. And he didn't do the one after. He didn't do Goblet of Fire, but he started right after that. And Correct. he's done the rest of them since mm-hmm. then. And I actually, you know... I was really glad they got rid of Chris Columbus after a couple, you know, he he just, I hate Chris Columbus as a director. He's really convenient and, and just a really forced hack of a director. So you're excited about Captain America? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. That's uh, Joe Johnston. Oh, yeah, same thing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. I don't want to get into that, but I'm trying to not be excited about Captain America and failing because... Joe Johnston, I think, is a terrible director, but he gets his he, – he's got a great visual eye. Yeah. And so I think the look of that movie is great. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, I don't know. I just with, – with with Harry Potter, I just was never able to make that connection with the characters or, you know, the fantastical environments and the, and the surroundings. I mean, I never really got that sense of wonder that they tried so hard to establish with the soundtrack, with a lot of the settings and things like that. And it's because there's no – there's no emotional core. I think I think you kind of touched on that. There's a lot of a lot of people superimpose um, connections they've made with the characters from reading the books onto these um, you know movie adaptations. But if if you take them on their own um, accord, they're just not anywhere near as um, developed or you know dimensional or, or likable, really. And that's been my that was my biggest problem with the last one you and I reviewed together was um uh what's the one that the seventh book or the the sixth <laughs> it book. was it was the uh least rated least highly rated on my list of Harry Potter movies yeah, and together eight. it's called the half blood prince the half blood prince yeah. you and I saw that one together and it was really forgettable for me and really just i I didn't have any sort of connection to it, it. had that great animation sequence um, yeah. that none of the other movies had a stylistic yeah, uh that sort of weird what was the flash departure point? yeah I believe it was a, it was a background story <clears throat> about the half blood prince yeah that was great but um, so I think I think for me the Half Blood Prince was the final movie in a series of uh, of three films that where the plot got so convoluted and the yeah. motivations uh, so um, arbitrary that it really that was the high point of alienation for me. Was it the worst film? I'm not sure if it was the yeah, worst you, film. Yeah, you made a list on Scene Stealers. You listed all eight. Yeah. And, and, that's, and you and that, put it dead center in the middle. I mean, No, I put it I put it at number eight. Yeah, I called oh, it the I'm worst. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm talking, talking about, about Half-Blood okay, Prince. Yeah. yeah. You put no, Half-Blood at the top. I put, it, I put it at the top slash bottom. I made it number eight of eight. And the reason I did that is because that was the high point of me finally just giving up after three films yeah. of overstuffed plot. Um, that the screenwriters just couldn't seem to figure out what direction they were going in, uh, all leading up to, and no spoiler alert necessary because it's been out for years, the death of Dumbledore yeah. and how badly that was handled. That was handled horribly. Yeah. I mean, every uh, so many points in that movie were just botched, but I, you know, we're not reviewing that one. We're reviewing the new one. No, but I mean, this is a nice segue into um, you know the, the the this list that I made where I, I basically came home from – uh, the the screening of part two, having all of the uh, uh, finale fresh in my head, mm-hmm. and sat down and relooked at some of my old reviews of this franchise. I've been I've been writing about movies as long as they've been out. 
Yeah, with the exception of the first one. Um, and, and, and going back and reading uh, some of the reviews, it was really interesting um, to kind of note my journey as a, as a viewer. Uh, and, and then when I ranked them in order, I found that the two Chris Columbus ones were number three and four wow. on my list of the most successful. And the reason for that is that the plot had yet to become impenetrable for somebody who's just watching the films. Yeah. And, and there was, I, I will argue with you on this point, there was a sense of magic and, and mystery uh, to Hogwarts in general the first, in the first movie, just seeing this thing, uh, you know, these, these, these people in these pictures who are moving around and hearing all the myths and, and everything behind it and Harry's, you know, great backstory and him being the chosen one. I mean, yeah, it's all familiar. It's all Joseph Campbell power of myth stuff. It's Star Wars. It's Lord of the Rings, whatever. But it still felt fresh and new at that point. And I think that the series, as it as it gradually went along, with the exception of Prisoner of Azkaban, um, which really took it to a new level and is my favorite of the series, um, I think that it just kind of ground all of those cliches into the ground. Yeah. And so um, for me, uh, those those first two movies still felt fresh and fun. Uh, and 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 it's interesting because um, I, I I know that they're not the most highly regarded. And, and yeah. I have to say, I did not go back. I have never watched a Harry Potter movie more than once. I watched each one of them in the theaters as they came out. I never revisited yeah. one again. So um, maybe those first two play better in my mind and maybe they would play worse and maybe they do for other people after seeing the ones that came after it. Um, but, but experiencing them all in a row, I can only give you my honest opinion from uh, what it felt like to watch them at the time. And it, it felt like a series with a lot of promise. So I did, I also did an article <laughs> for Lawrence.com, which was, um, uh, you know, interviewing a professor, an English professor here who did, uh, a critical, uh, a book of edited, a book of critical essays. Yeah. Uh, and then also, um, there was a guy who, uh, who's an alum of KU, Michael Johnson, who wrote uh, a piece about uh, prisoner of Azkaban. So he was specifically writing about the films right. instead of the books. And that what he had to say really interested me, um, and and his interpretation was that the reason Azkaban was so good, it was also his favorite of the series, was mm-hmm. because Quaron, Alfonso Quaron, the director who later went on to do Children of Men, among other um, great movies, and he what he did is that he interpreted the themes of the film rather than slavishly interpreting the plot, and while uh, or, or summarizing the plot as I mentioned before. Right. So um, because he did that, I think just the movie feels more like a v- movie. He's taking uh, language cues from Rowling and turning them into visual cues. Yeah, and he's not just repeating you know verbatim the stuff that. And I think that really helped in that movie, and it made that movie uh, you know feel. More than the other movies. Yeah, that's did. my favorite one too, and it's it's dark and it's brooding, and it's the first one that Gary Oldman's in, if I'm not mistaken, and I yep. love his character in that, and, yep. and yeah. So. so yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting series. Um, I don't know. Good try, you know, on it's, Warner it's Brothers. It's epic. It's huge, <laughs> and it's you know, it's just the kind of undertaking that you you know scratch your head and how how does somebody make this happen yeah i mean it couldn't have been easy especially since the books were being written as the movies were already starting to be produced and the screenwriters didn't know in what direction she was going to take things in so normal things like foreshadowing they couldn't take into consideration what was coming although the harry potter uh, films have the worst most obvious uh foreshadowing plot of all that i've ever seen in a film before and that is severus snape it was um, so obvious 
uh, when when Yates hit us over the head with it a couple films ago, it was just like really. And everything that I predicted in that in that movie came true in this one. Uh, it's it's just yeah. So yeah, good job, Yates. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I know I'm a hater. What are you going to do? Right, you know, I'm, I you know I'm just giving you my honest opinion of these all right. movies. I, I didn't. I don't have that much connection. We're the wrong guys to talk to if you want. You know. A lot of Harry Potter praise. I think uh, we we both just weren't quite the target demo, or maybe we were and they just missed it, or I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. But neither I of really us. Think- I, I feel the same way about pretty much everything you've said. So I, that's why I haven't been chiming in because I I don't have much to contribute other than yeah, I agree. And every time because- one of these movies come out, I have I have all of my mm-hmm. points same well here. rehearsed because yeah. I have to repeat yep. them over and over again for people who love you the books. Say it ten times into the mirror before yeah. you go out that day because <laughs> it's the only way you're going to make it. Um, but yeah, you know, so that's that's Harry Potter. That's the only really big movie that's coming out this this uh, this week. But you did get to see, you know, to change it up and just touch on it real quick. Um, you did get to see Horrible Bosses last week. Yes. Um, and again, I I didn't. I got sick, so I missed it. Um, but how was it? Uh, you know what? Oh, Horrible no. Bosses is a sloppy, uh, R-rated mm-hmm. mess. Okay. And it's very funny. Okay. So uh, where 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 the Hangover Part Two was a sloppy R-rated mess and was not funny, um, I think Horrible Bosses succeeds mainly on the backs of Jason Sudeikis, Charlie Day, and Jason Bateman. Yeah. Bateman has um, one of the all-time best uh, in in modern uh, modern entertainment um, uh, smartass uh, deadpan deliveries. Of all time, I yeah. think. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons Arrested Development was so great. He uses it to great effect here. Charlie Day's the opposite. He's the manic, crazy guy. Yeah. You probably know him from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, not much different in the character uh, department here on that. Uh, and Jason Sudeikis, um, who I should point out, uh, I've known for many years. Mm-hmm. He's from this area. Uh, finally, I think he he was good in Hall Pass, but I think this is the role where he really gets to do something. Uh, a little bit different, and his character goes from being the um, kind of that that whole suburban kind of regular Joe white guy that he always plays, yeah. to uh, going to some pretty crazy dark places towards the end, and, All right. and saying and doing some things that um, that probably uh, uh, are going to shock some people. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it's it's actually a really funny movie. It's very sloppy. It's it's directed by Seth Gordon, who did um, The King of Kong, A mm-hmm. Fistful of Quarters, which is a great documentary about the Donkey Kong Championships. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Wiebe, the main character in that movie, has a cameo in this film. <laughs> and uh, Colin Farrell's boss was based on Billy Mitchell, who's the villain in The King of Kong. Oh, right. Uh, right. Colin Farrell is one of three horrible bosses. He's way over the top, and honestly, not in the movie – uh, long enough to make much of an impression um, and, and really more of a caricature than anything else. Uh, Kevin Spacey and Jennifer Aniston are the other two bosses. Yeah. I don't think they have that much more to do here either. I really think the movie's carried by the three leads who are lesser known uh, guys. But um, And Jamie Foxx is also in the movie as yeah. uh, Motherfucker Jones. Okay. And he's always he's always a good sort of character actor. You put him in something just real quick, like a, he's got a, a bit great piece. part in this movie. Like yeah. at first, you think, okay, he's just doing whatever, and then there there is a payoff at the end. Oh, and it's really? very funny. So that's awesome. Um, there there are some 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 great moments in the plot. Overall, it's just uh, you know it doesn't make much sense. Strangers on a train. They're trying to kill their bosses, and they want it each. Do it, and you know that at one point this movie's not going to go completely dark, and they're going to get let off the hook, and they are. Uh, 
They are. Yeah. So don't get your expectations too high, but uh, it's the first movie since Bridesmaids that I laughed fairly consistently. Yeah, at. it's been a good summer for for comedies like that between Bridesmaids and this. And yeah, yeah. So. it's not nearly as as solid from a character standpoint. It it just goes for the cheap jokes a lot. But you know, those guys are improving, and you can tell. Yeah. And sometimes the funniest lines in the scene are the ones that occur after the scene proper. Seems like it's over. Right. And then right before they're cutting, somebody will blurt out, usually Sudeikis, will blurt out something at the last minute, and then they'll cut, and everybody's laughing because it's just so absurd. Awesome. So there's some good stuff in it, too. Cool, yeah. It'd be a good alternative to Harry Potter this week if you don't want to brave the... If you don't want to be accused of being three. a muggle, which right. I've already been accused of. Oh, I haven't no. even put my review out yet. Mud blood. Mud blood. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to end it there then. Um, uh, we'll be back next week with Captain America. No Larry Crown? Nah. Well, all right. Trevin saw Larry Crown. I Larry saw, Crown in two minutes or less. I saw Larry Crown two weeks ago. It's exactly what the trailers make it look like. It's a good movie for the uh, uh, boomer crowd, I guess, to sound like a condescending ass. Um, it's nice a nice work. Yeah, it works. Well, it's a nice alternative to the big summer movies, and it is. It's 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 cutesy. It's got a good heart. It's a, it goes for the. It's a little too sweet for its own good. Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts. Tom Hanks, Julia Roberts. I like Brian Cranston a lot. He's the closest thing to a villain in the movie, but he's he's good. And um, yeah, you know, there, there's a sweetness to it that kind of keeps it above the margin, but just barely. So. Co-written by Hanks and Nia Vardalos, That's and true. directed Vardalos, by Hanks. Yeah. And directed by yeah, it's the second movie he's directed since uh, the first one was that thing you do, and I love that movie, but this too. isn't any anything near that. It, but, you know, again, it's sweet. It's a feel-good movie. It doesn't aspire to be anything more than that. And it, it gets the job done. But that's it. It gets the job done. Pleasant. Yep. That's how I would describe it. You Horrible s- Bosses is not pleasant, yeah. but it is funny. You will see it on TBS three years from now. You will see it on TBS pretty much every Sunday. Yeah. Right after, right after or right before Shawshank Redemption, they will, they will, <laughs> they will play Horrible – or they will play um, Larry Crown. And what's so. at Liberty Hall this weekend? Liberty Hall. Well, we missed um, Conan O'Brien Can't Stop. It was here for the blink of an eye this week. So by the time you hear this, it'll be gone. I hope you got to see it. Um, if not, uh, as Eric pointed out, it will look just the same on video yep. as it does on the big screen. We'll see it before year's end. Right. And uh, then beyond that, we've got, let's see. Woody we, Allen's Midnight in Paris that's, is still there. That's still going gonna to be there until at least the 21st. It might keep going. Um, I don't know. And then we've got Buck. Um, the unusually perspective cowboy whose remarkable abilities to communicate with horses inspired both Mick Evans' novel, The Horse Whisperer, and that's where the description cuts Perceptive off. cowboy. Perceptive. I saw the preview. It looks like a, a, an inspirational movie. Inceptive uh, It's a documentary mm-hmm. um, about this guy, Buck, who uh, um, was, is what, the lesson that you, it looks to be that you will learn from this film is to treat people better um, okay. because um, people aren't treating horses as good as they as they could, and there's a lot of things we could learn from horses. Okay. Um, 7 o'clock tonight, uh, we've got the Wild West Film Fest. It's 5 bucks to get in. You get to see 20 short films that everyone had 48 hours to make. It's usually a lot of fun. The crowd is uh, super drunk. energetic and drunk and into <laughs> it. It's a lot of there's, – there's a lot of, you know, cheering, whooping, hollering. And, the, the, again, there's 20 movies. There is an intermission, so it's not, it's not you know, a marathon – and, uh, you know, there are prizes and people get, you know, voted um, audience favorite and things like that at the end. And then also going with this year's theme, it's a food drive. And so if you bring a canned good, 
uh, your ticket price goes from five to two dollars. So seven o'clock today, Liberty Hall. Check it out. And that's it. That's all. That's all we've got to talk about, my friend. That's all we have for this week. So fair enough. I'll let you go. See and, ya. Uh, we'll see you next week with Captain America. Bye bye. <laughs>